Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Family Office Club podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, we're going to get right into it. I'm going to introduce a very special member to the Family Office Club, uh, Renan Cortez, the founder of Syndicate Venture Group. Renan Cortez is a 12-year military veteran, over 27 years of combined experience. Uh, Syndicate Venture Group has over $8 million in assets under management. And Renan is focused on investing in underrepresented founders by stimulating the local economy and expanding the community workforce and developing a portfolio of profitable service-based companies. So I know that very well. I've been kind of, uh, I've, I've known you for over a year now. Our team has definitely been, has helped you with a lot of the branding here, has, has seen your growth. But can you tell us more what that means? And can you tell us more about uh, what Syndicate Venture Group is? Well, I know you can start off by saying hi to our audience too. I yeah, think. no, Andres, thank you for having me here. This is amazing. You know, I feel very uh, fortunate to, to have some time to, to speak with you and, and your your group here, Family Office uh, Club. Um, and you're right. I mean, Family Office Club has done wonders for me in, in the progress of what we've done. Uh, I remember day one, I was very, <laughs> well, you, you remember me from day one, uh, you know, very uh, wet behind the ears. But yeah, it's well, things have come a long way. Um, well, and, and to add on to that, I mean, the, we were really excited to come across you, you know, and your vision and, and what you were doing. And we saw, we, we thought it was very attractive. So I remember when Richard reached out to me and he was like, hey, I want you to talk to, to Renan. He seems to have a really good head on his shoulders. I like his attitude. I like his values. And what he is doing makes a lot of sense. So, no, so we were just as excited to work with you. <laughs> yeah, the, this whole thing, it, it, it just... It just makes sense on, on what we're doing, right? So I did 12 years in the military and then I did 15 years corporate America, uh, medical device sales, selling pacemakers, right? For top companies like Medtronic and Abbott. And I did some medical startups as well. And um, I switched gears, right? Uh, at the age of 46, 47 years old, right? And uh, bought my first company. It was a construction company, water restoration, property restoration and mitigation. That's, you know, it's kind of like when you have a, a flood, fire, smoke, mold kind of problem in, in the house. And what I found are these service-based businesses are very profitable and they're not always run as efficient as they can be. And there's a thing called the silver tsunami happening right now where the, you know, they, they say the boomer generation, right? They're exiting their businesses, you know? So the boomer generation started a lot of businesses or they took it over from their, their parents. They cultivated it over the next 30 years. And now there's a generation that's retiring. They're of retirement age and there's no succession planning. Their kids want to be TikTok stars, IG famous, right? They want to get into crypto AI and that's all cool stuff. It really is, you know, or, you know, their, their parents grew up in the trades and they always told their kids, you know, do better than us, right? Be a doctor, be a lawyer, do something better than being in the trades. So there's an actual big issue, a problem, especially with our infrastructure, the way it is in the country, where uh, service-based businesses, you know, there, there isn't a good succession plan for it. So that's basically what we're doing. We're doing a national roll-up of service-based businesses, specifically construction, uh, restoration, and, and reconstruction companies. And there's a huge opportunity for that. And then yes, there is a philanthropic mission for us where we are helping underserved populations, you know, uh, military vets transitioning from the military to civilian uh, life, you know, we're offering mentorship, development, uh, women entrepreneurs, and and other rep underrepresented business founders, for sure. 
Excellent. And um, definitely the, the blue wave is definitely something that, that I've read up on uh, a good amount. But I'm very curious in terms of what your experience has been with these baby boomers, with these entrepreneurs and business owners in that generation. You know, you made a really good point. You know, all of their kids want to be TikTok stars, you know, their grandkids. Um, the secession plan isn't, isn't there because of this new generation and, and you know, uh, how lucrative it could potentially be to be a TikTok star nowadays. You know, there's uh, seven-year-olds making millions of dollars for their parents by playing with toys in front of, of a TV, you know, <laughs> That's right. yeah. fire truck, you know, it's crazy. It really is. Um, but tell me, you know, what are, I don't really talk to a lot of these baby boomers and service-based businesses. How serious is that problem? What kind of stories are you hearing? Of, oh, of there's people that, the that what they're going to do with their business. Yeah, they're, they're struggling to sell their business, believe it or not. You have super profitable, multi-million dollar businesses with 50 to 100 employees. And because there's no succession plan, they, these employees. So yeah, the, the, the owner is retiring. There's no succession plan. So what they are doing is they're winding down their business, which means like 50 to 100 people could just be unemployed just like that. You know, they tell them we're closing business. You have to go find another job. And so that's a problem we're solving right there because we go in, we, we acquire the business. And then because we're adding it to the to the portfolio, um, we're actually increasing the staff where we're trying to actually grow the company instead of where it's been kind of spiraling down maybe year over year. You know, people get tired. They don't want to uh, add marketing. They don't want to push as hard as they did where they were in their 30s or 40s, right? So they're just kind of winding down. Um, so we kind of freshen up the business. And, and it's the old adage, right? They say you find a company that's operating on a fax machine, replace that with a computer and profits go up by 30%, let's say, right? So that's what we're doing. We're implementing management structure, um, organizational efficiencies, technology, policies, automations. All the things you would find in a, in a larger corporate um, company, and we're applying that to service-based businesses, and we're we're seeing some really good results. And what examples of service-based businesses? You know, maybe share a story with us about one particular company. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah so there's HVAC, us. plumbing. You know, anything infrastructure, right? Uh, so, and this is what I, how I kind of developed the thesis. You know, we've been, you know, coronavirus was going through, and you know, gas prices are going up. If gas is $20 a gallon, right? People are like delaying their vacations. You know, they might not buy that addition for their house. You know, there's things, luxury items that they don't need. But if a pipe breaks in your ceiling and you know, it's coming down to your living room, to your basement, you're gonna make that phone call, right? And so and you're gonna call insurance. Insurance is gonna call a company like mine where we come in and, and do the work. So it's, it's kind of a necessity, right? So it's no, nothing is recession proof but there is definite recession resistant companies. And so that's the service-based businesses that I'm, I'm speaking of. Um, you know, like in Arizona, super hot. Your HVAC goes out, your AC goes out, you're making that phone call. You're, you're gonna put it on a credit card or something or have insurance cover it and you're gonna make the, the phone call. That's not something that you could really delay. So it's a necessity and that's where I'm finding the most opportunity for sure. Got it, excellent. And have there been any, um kind of like recent acquisitions or acquisitions ever since the start that really that you're probably maybe very excited about. Maybe you can share a little bit about how you found that family or that, you know, that business owner. Yeah, so so we do a pretty strong off-market deal sourcing campaign where we talk to the owners off of the uh, 
off the uh, biz by sell listings and loop net and all the traditional ways because i find that they're, they're stronger they're stronger businesses uh stronger deals that you could create more more authentic uh, relationships so the first one we bought was an eight million dollar uh 8.6 million dollar business doing about uh, two million in ebitda right and um just by applying some of the management structure and efficiencies we're bringing that uh, year to date at 2.5 million ebitda we're, we're tracking we have 30 more uh, million assets under management coming on board one in california one in pennsylvania um, i'm based out of central new jersey so you know we have by coastal now um there's an asset in seattle we're looking at and so now deal flow is, is getting really strong you know i'm, I'm getting into the network i'm i'm, I'm yeah, it's just it's becoming really fun uh, finding these assets, speaking with the owners, uh, negotiating the terms and, and implementing it into the portfolio. And so I decided the very first one, to be honest, I did it for 100 percent seller financing. So I bought an eight point six million dollar business with no money down, uh, no money down, no bank note, um, wow. seller finance. And so when I did that, that's actually what led me here. I'm like, if I could do that without money, imagine what I could do if I had capital. You know my negotiating power would be higher you know I, I could negotiate a better deal you know because i gave them a little bit higher of a multiple to do the seller financing which you know that, that that's what's in it for them right but now we're raising a hundred million dollars for our fund and that's for the express purpose of acquiring businesses capitalizing into them and, and growing to 100 million in aggregate ebitda uh, we expect a one to 1.5 billion dollar exit in five to seven years and then we'll see where we go from there you know but right now the vision is clear and and we're marching forward it's it's exciting and when you talk to some of these um these business owners in that boomer generation are you finding it it's a lot like you know for example when when i was wholesaling single family properties um a lot of the, the best properties you know they were getting called like crazy you know are you finding that it's um highly competitive there's a lot of people calling these boomers trying to buy their businesses yes do maybe even the seller financing since it's a creative structure that exists are you finding that you know they're telling you Renan, this is my fifth call today this is my 10th call this week you know and is it like that or, or are you getting a lot of people that are like thank you so much i've been dying to speak with someone to take this business off my hand no so you know the larger the the sector I'm looking at now, one to six million in EBITDA, they are getting a lot of calls from private equity now because at the higher levels, the bigger, you know, because this that's considered the lower middle market, right? Where the typical private equity lives and they play, it's starting to get very, very competitive for them. So now they're starting to come down to the one to six million EBITDA mark, right? To the lower middle market. But where we have the edge is, you know, we actually have, um, I, I want to say we're more uh, personable with, with, with the owners because the thing that I do hear from them is, you know, you have somebody behind an Excel spreadsheet in their office in wherever, right? Just kind of making an offer based on numbers. Um, we make it a point to actually meet the owners in person. We establish the relationship and we see if we're a good fit to begin with, right? Uh, Cause it's not all about dollars and cents. We have to make sure there's a culture fit. We have to make sure that we take care of the employees. There, There's a bigger picture to all of this. And so, to be perfectly honest, I mean, that that's we've gotten the edge over bigger private equity because of that, uh, like the one in California, 18 million dollars. You know, they actually had an offer in hand for 24 million, but they they see our vision, they see our mission and they opted to go with us to come into the bigger portfolio for the bigger picture down the line. So I, I feel we have something special going on with Syndicate Venture Group for sure. Awesome. Incredible. And in terms of um, what led you here, 
Um, you spoke a little bit about it. I'm not sure if maybe the property restoration and being, you know, kind of involved in, in that space kind of, you know, is what gave you so much background on, on some of these more traditional based businesses, but what kind of led you to this thesis and saying, you know what, I'm going to launch this fund and I'm going to build this really this investment platform, right? Yeah. No. So it's been a wild journey over the last two or three years. It started with, you know, being in a mastermind with uh, Cody Sanchez and understanding how to buy a business. And then from that, it led me to acquiring my first business, which led me into getting into a group called GoBundance, which is a, a, another type mastermind uh, network. And that's where I met Richard C. Wilson. He was a keynote speaker. And um, everybody is very real estate centric in that group. So they were talking about real estate syndications. And um, in speaking with Richard, I just wanted to pick his brain and say, hey, look, what do you think about this? So let me rewind a little bit more. <laughs> when I was with Cody Sanchez, uh, going through her mastermind, I realized that this is almost like a micro PE type environment that I'm in. You know, it's not, you know, like billion dollar PE, but $100 million is considered micro PE. So I enrolled in Columbia Business School for private equity venture capital, because if I want to do this, <clears throat> I want to learn from the best. I want to hear it from the authority on this stuff. And while I was there, it just kind of just made sense. It's This is the whole Berkshire Hathaway model, right? Buying a strong cash flowing business and hold it into perpetuity, except I have an exit in mind, right? And the exit might be in the form of an IPO because these are going to be really strong cash flowing assets at the end of the day. I mean, when you're talking about 100 million in EBITDA aggregate at the end of five years, minus debt service, we're still clearing about 30, 40 million across the portfolio. And then, uh, you know, that that's that's exciting money right there, right? There's a lot of good, a lot of philanthropy we could do with that money. And then the investors on the other side, you know, they're going to have great returns. So I built a really strong thesis on all facets where this, it's going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. And like I said, I, I vetted it out at Columbia with professors there, with other private equity GPs. And, uh, you know, some of them, they, they, they're into the AI or the fintech, health tech, you know, because they want that 50x, that 100x. And I get that, right? But the way I see it, I mean, I, base hits, doubles, triples, consistent cash flow. Every now and then we hit a grand slam. That's fine also. And that that's pretty much along with uh, what our thesis is going, you know, strong returns, consistent returns with very low volatility and risk. Wow. Yeah, no, that's incredible. You've really like hit it from all sides. And I can just tell just by looking at your history and your, and your career history, you're really well set up to, you are a thought leader in this space, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Speaking this is like 27 about, years in the making, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Uh, from your military experience and, you know, I think it, with military experience, I think comes a lot of blue collar experience, right? Like blue collar, you know, you understand the blue collar culture um, at such a deeper level because 12 years, right? Um, with a lot of people that are blue collar, right? <clears throat> a lot of blue collar Americans, um, medical uh startups so having that experience in the startup world right um and then also obviously the property restoration side of it and, uh, and now this uh you know going to columbia business where well, there's so much right it's like wow <laughs> yeah i mean i uh, use my GI so bill much to, to get, offer yeah i use my gi bill to get my mba um i was fortunate to be in fortune 100 companies like medtronic and then abbott right so i was a sales coach i got really polished within corporate america so yeah you're right i mean i i went from sleeping in the rain and the dirt and the mud pulling you know guard duty and stuff to then corporate america and seeing that side of the table and then kind of putting all the assets together and and building something for ourselves right and yeah you know, 
Yeah. Gives you a really wide perspective. <clears throat> but in, in regards of being a continual learner and everything you've learned, what do you think is, you know, especially this past year, this year, 2023, you know, we're, we're in Q3, coming up on Q3 here, <laughs> you know, uh, fall just started, what, yesterday, the day before. Um, so what, you know, these nine months, 10 months, now going on 10 months, what, what has been your biggest takeaway this year? In life or in life? Yeah, in life and business. Let's talk business. We oh, talk business. so I mean, give me both. Give me business and life. The biggest thing, to be honest, it's it's. This is the big thing for me, and this is what I try to tell everybody when they see what I'm doing, and they say, "How are you doing it?" Or you know, "How do I do that?" You really have to take action. You have to put yourself in the room. You have to take a chance on yourself and believe in yourself. So all that is to say, I have you know, you have friends that say, "Man, I really want to do this." Well, take a step, take action and do that. It's not gonna happen by sitting on the couch or grabbing, you know, being at the bar Friday night, just thinking about it. You have to take a step. Find who you wanna be like, be, get into that room, ask questions, right? That's family office club, prime example. You, you know, I'm very, you know, I didn't know much about private equity when I first started this whole thing. I know I went to Columbia and I did all this, right? But getting into the environment, seeing how it really is, speaking to real life, uh, GPs and managing partners and all that. It, it, it's really grown my brain exponentially. So be in the room, identify what you want to do, get into that room and ask tons of questions and take action. That's been my mantra for, yeah, for the last couple of years, to be honest. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And, and makes a lot of sense. You know, and I think a lot of it is what you mentioned, work ethic. I think, you know, I, I hear it and I'm like, huh, like Columbia Business School, you know, uh, making income. How many children do you have? Oh, that was about to say. So I was <laughs> five kids, you know, five two, of them, kids. two of them are in college. Um, you know, I, I had my full time W2, which was very demanding corporate America job. You know, I was training jujitsu three or four times a week because that's like my I've been training that for 17 years at a high level. So I, I just love that's my outlet right there. So I love that um, way of socializing with people. Right. So jujitsu. Uh, doing the masterminds, getting the MBA, Columbia at night. It's 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 tough. It's not easy, right? But, you know, that's the whole thing. It, it's not supposed to be easy. <laughs> because if it was, everybody would do it, right? Everyone would do it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. 100%. I think um, that's, I think, and everybody wants it to be easy. And you have a lot of people out there, too, that if it's not easy, they feel like they'll blame it on the markets, they'll blame it on the economy, they'll blame it on the system, they'll blame it on the event they go to. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. Um, but then, you know, you being once again, so well-rounded, uh, so, so much worldly knowledge, honestly, the, the question is this year, what was that thing that you learned? If maybe you can put, you know, maybe it's just been continual learning and building on what you already know, but maybe there was an epiphany you had this year in the past 12 months that you were like, after all my experience in the military, in the medical field, in property restoration, Columbia University, jiu-jitsu, where, you know, that makes you such a wise person as well, right? Martial arts. But maybe there was that one thing this year that you were like, wow, I never saw it that way. It gave me a brand new perspective. You know, sometimes when we are so intelligent, so smart, and, we're, and we've learned from so many people, it can be hard to teach us very new things we've never heard of. We can build on what we know, you know, but maybe there was like something that really this year was like, I never saw it that way and it, and it changed everything. The, the biggest thing for me, honestly, was confidence in myself and my team. 
Um, I was scared, scared, <laughs> scared. Like two o'clock in the morning, hands in my head, scared. Because yeah, I worked in corporate, I've had teams, but you know, if you know something were to happen, we still have that company, right? Now I'm kind of leading everything and decisions that I make or my team makes, it affects, you know, families. Like, like I just said, you have these companies that have 50 to 100 people, employees, you make a decision in that company, that affects more than just your family, it's everybody. So I had to get like really strong confidence in myself, right? I had to get very introspective and, and surround myself with uh, networks of people uh, to hedge our, our success. Meaning I don't want to fail and we are not going to fail. And so what am I doing to ensure success is I'm surrounding myself with people smarter than myself, right? That could ensure our success because yeah, we, we needed to have this. I, I, the, yeah, this was an interesting question. I actually just got very introspective on this for real, but it, that was the biggest thing for me because it was like one of the scariest things ever. And I've done a lot of cool things along the way, but I, this has been a, a transformational period in confidence and knowing that I have a clear vision now to like a billion dollars. I know what's going to happen. I'm very confident about it. I'm building the team. I mean, when we met, it was just me. Now we have a COO, an investment officer, compliance, CFO, director of strategy, all ready to rock. And um, it gives me butterflies when I talk about it um, because I see the vision very clearly. I know we're marching in that direction. And it, it was just a confidence in, in what you're doing and believing in yourself and, and doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's powerful. That's yeah, I, I did. I had, yeah, I wasn't ready for that question, but that's exactly <laughs> how I feel right now. The biggest thing for this last year is, is building that confidence and belief for sure. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's powerful. So especially powerful for it to be, you know, confidence coming from someone like you, right? And it just, you know, uh, like I said, I mean, you've learned from so many people, obviously the 17 years in jujitsu, right? I mean, you learned so much there, right? You're, you're, you're working the mats with, you know, a lot of the people that I know that have been so dedicated to jujitsu, I met a lot of millionaires and multimillionaires that are super into jujitsu. So I can only imagine sharing the mat with them and talking and that, you know, brotherhood, you learn so much from that. All the courses you're going to Columbia, it's like, huh, what can someone at this level learn that's new, right? So many times we're just building on what we already know and trying to master those things that we already know. But sometimes it can be hard to let new things in. But the confidence answer was almost one too that I wasn't expecting. Um, but of course, it's just newfound challenges and a new level of challenge that brings a new level of fear that is a new level you need to overcome, right? <clears throat> so so jiu-jitsu, one, th one big thing that I learned from jiu-jitsu over the 17 years is how to fail, believe it or not. Because you're not going to win every match. You're going to get tapped. You're going to get submitted. So it's how to fail and how do you recover from that? How do you get better from that? You know, sometimes you're in a position where you just can't win, right? Hicks and Gracie, you know, he has that great quote. Sometimes you're in a position where you just can't win. It's what you do in that dark moment that defines who you are, right? So if you're in back to the wall, you know, things are not going your way, do you fold? Do you just quit? Or do you find a way to to recover from that and, and get better, right? And and not make that mistake again. So that's something it's just it's just con every time I train, it's like constant failure, right? Now, don't don't get it, I have more success now than failure, right? But, you know, I'm not like the best in the world. So every now and then I run across somebody that just, you know, they're the hammer and I'm the nail for the night. So, yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's powerful. Um, wow. Once again, it's, you know, no matter, there's sometimes there's just positions in that you can't just can't win, right? Did yeah. I say that right? I'll send you that quote. It, 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 I, I didn't do it justice. Oh, repeat it, repeat it for our audience. 
Oh man, I, I, you know, I would have to pull it up and really, yeah, because I, I just that's was, okay. Was you can always anyone can always rewind, can always rewind. Very powerful. Yeah. I was just talking to to another military veteran. He, he gave me a great quote too. He said, "No door is closed. Go through them." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no door is ever closed. Just go through them. Right. Like okay. <laughs> um, so good stuff and good nuggets and. Uh, we're gonna wrap up with that. That was, I think, that's a powerful way to conclude. We'll wrap up with asking Renan. I think that anybody watching this would probably love to reach out and talk to you and, and get thoughts, perspective, or reach out to you because they're very interested in seeing how they can participate in Syndicate Venture Group. So, how can people connect with you, Renan? Sure. Our website is www.svgte.com. That's Syndicate Venture Group Private Equity.com. Or you can email me, Renan, R-E-N-A-N, at svgpe.com. Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, well, Renan, we'll see you. Uh, you're going to be with us um, Monday? Yes. I'm, I'm in New York on Monday, and then I'm definitely going to the Super Bowl in December in Fort Lauderdale. Nice. Yeah, nice, I'm excited nice. about that, yeah. The Family Office Club Super Summit in December that we do every year. Uh, October 3rd, 2023. Um, next Monday, you'll be with us in New York for our private investment mastermind. And December 5th to 7th, 2023, you'll be with us for our super summit. So um, excited to have you there. Excited to keep uh, sharing space with you at these events and and watching your growth here at Syndicate Venture Group. So thanks so much for being with us today, Ramon. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>